Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online, and we need your help with something. What's that? Keeping our show on the air. As the show grows, so do the costs of producing it and distributing the audio of Real Ghost Stories Online, the very thing that you listen to probably on a regular basis. So if you listen to the show regularly, we ask you to become an EPP. That's an extra podcast person. We'll give you even more episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online to listen to in exchange for your support. It's only $5 a month, and you can sign up at realghoststoriesonline.com. Your support is what keeps our show going. Plus, we'll give you access to all of the past EPP bonus episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online, jam-packed with some of the creepiest stories we've ever gotten in, and exclusively for EPPs, more than 30 full episodes. Thanks for helping keep Real Ghost Stories Online on the air. Without your support, the show couldn't go on. Sign up now to be an EPP, extra podcast person, on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. On tonight's show, some great ghost stories. Find out what life was like for a young girl in a haunted college town. Two girls spend their summer with their new friend, who they met through the Ouija board. And a woman is overcome with emotion after visiting a Titanic exhibit. Was it just the subject matter, or did someone rise to the surface with a message? Those stories, your calls, and more tonight on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello? Rise to the surface. Like that? Yeah. I just came up with that. That's special. We were putting together the headlines to the show just before the show. And I, I had read that one ahead of time. And uh, I, I just came up with that. And Jenny didn't know it. And it was kind of a little little surprise. <laughs> <laughs> did I do good? Yeah, you did good. Good. I thought, you know, you know rise to the surface. You know, it's I get it. And stuff. Plus, we're also going to talk about um, a, a very interesting thing that has to do with the Titanic. Um, and in the history um, uh of it and, and really the, the almost foretelling of the sinking of the ship. Yeah. Which a, a lot of folks may may or may not know about. Um, I don't know why I was aware of it. I don't know if it was, I have no idea. It was some, something that was told to me when I was a very young child. I was like, oh, this is, listen to this. This is creepy. Maybe my, it's because my parents were in, my mom especially was just into creepy stuff. Uh-huh. And, you know, she was like, hey, Tony, check this out. You know? <laughs> I don't know if that's how it came about or if she saw it on TV or read it somewhere. I, some, I don't know. See, I don't know how I didn't know about this. I was surprised when you told me that you were unaware of it. I didn't know anything about it until a listener wrote in and told us this. Yeah. And I, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I need to have my Titanic buff card rejected. <laughs> well, it's not directly related to the Titanic, but it's one of those fun little odd tidbits where you go, huh, really? And, you, and it almost sounds too crazy to be true. Yeah. But then when you, you do some research, it's like, oh, yeah, it, it, it's in fact very true. So, well, we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay. There go. Real Ghost Stories Online. Phone number is 855-853-4802 to call in and share your real ghost story with us. Of course, you can always uh, write into the website at Real Ghost Stories Online and share your uh, ghost story with us that way. So lots of ways of uh, getting those uh, stories to us. Also tonight, uh, we'll talk about a, a fun, interesting uh, paint color. 
for your next uh, children's painting project. Maybe if you find it at an antique store, you'll think twice about it. Does paint last that long? Nope. Even if it's like in like one of those really nice sealed up tubes that are... Could it? Could you theoretically... It separates. Sure, but you could shake it up, couldn't you? Shake, shake, shake it up. If you shake it up and you need more than one tube, it's probably not going to match. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying in theory, if you were to go to an antique store... I think it would be dried up. Really? Although... The favorite antique store of ours around here has a booth that sells that chalk paint stuff, but it's not old. Yeah, it's it's new. It's just for, like, putting on old stuff. But as far as getting paint at an antique store. Sure. I'm just saying, theoretically, you go, like, find an art set or something, and there's there's one of these jars of it. I don't know. I think it depends on the kind of paint. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a creepy paint. Paint yeah. that could actually be haunted. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Uh, just a show full of a lot of things you go, really, is that real? And yes, in fact, it is. So <laughs> I can't wait. Marie writes in, hey, first, just want to say I love your show and have been listening obsessively to catch up with all the episodes. I hope to become an EPP soon, too. Wanted to share a couple things with you. The first thing I want to say is that my background has been anything but usual, even without anything paranormal. In fact, when I tell stories about my life, a lot of people think I'm making things up or exaggerating. I have also moved a lot for my whole life and have lived in some downright strange places. Plus, I'm a pretty adventurous person and have often gone poking around places that I shouldn't be. Anyway, so I have no shortage of ideas of where I might have gone to pick up some bad vibes. But I did a, have a series of odd things happen in one place and thought I could share and see what you think. I'm kind of a skeptic, but this was an odd place. I went to college in a little town in Kansas. It's a very old town, site of a civil war battle. It was full of old houses, although part of the town was more updated because the whole place had been flooded early in the 1900s. Later in 2011, a similar flood would happen and wipe out all the adjacent villages in the lowland areas. That whole flooding history made a, the place feel very eerie. Also, many other strange bad things happened in town. For this reason, it's been labeled the most haunted town in the Midwest, the third most in the U.S., since you're in Kansas, I bet you know what I'm talking about. Can we say what we're, talk- what we're talking about? There's no reason we can't. Okay. Go it, ahead. It's Atchison. Okay. Which is a small town outside of Kansas City. A very, like she said, very old town. Yeah. A lot of history. And we've heard about it. We've only driven through it. We haven't stopped and ventured around mm-hmm. yet, but we will. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's a, it's an interesting little town from, from the little bit that I've seen of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, and it is right down there on the water. So that would, I was unaware of the, all the flooding that was not that long ago there. Yeah, it is. And the, you know, the oldest part, of course, is up on a hill. Sure. So a lot of those homes have been somewhat preserved, but a lot of mm-hmm. the other homes that were maybe as old but weren't up high enough, yeah. of course, had enough damage that they either had to be destroyed or completely, yeah. you know, gutted. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of like in a valley-ish area, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. right on the Missouri River. Okay, yeah. Anyway, continuing on. Being a curious girl, I, of course, visited as many of these sites as I could because they were kind of famous. There's even a Halloween tour. But in some cases, I didn't have a choice. My first dorm was a haunted, hundred-year-old building that used to house monks and is haunted enough to have a ghost show there. There was a tower that we weren't supposed to climb in, but did anyway. There was a monk supposedly hung himself there, and so on. There's also a passage leading from under one school building to the dorm, 
and also to the church all underground. When I explored it and am not making this up, there was just a lone rocking chair at the end of the passageway. That's creepy. That imagery. <laughs> you know, just a chair sitting way out there by itself uh-huh. in a passageway. And there's something creepy about rocking chairs versus regular <clears throat> chairs. Yeah, just by itself. You mm-hmm. see that like on horror movie covers and stuff? Yeah. Or uh, or or a single wheelchair, especially one of those old ones. Oh, yeah, like a theater, or uh, not theater, but Franklin Roosevelt yeah, type wheelchair. Kind of rolls ac- <laughs> I've actually used that imagery in a Haunted House TV ad I made once. Ugh. It was from a... Uh, I have this fun little piece of stock footage, uh-huh. and it's from an abandoned asylum. And whoever took the footage thought it'd be a great idea to then have... It was essentially like in a rusted-out entryway. You could tell it was very ornate at one time and now falling apart. And then all of a sudden... The shot of the the entryway, and then this wheelchair just slowly rolls into the frame. <laughs> no one's there. It's creepy. It's wonderful. <laughs> I use it in so many commercials. Anyhow, honestly, without any ghost business, this place was spooky. The underground passages and rocking chair disturbed me. Who put that there and why? The tower that didn't have any stairs, the old stone corridors. There was a cemetery in the woods on the school's property, and I stumbled upon it by accident. Some graves were marked and others weren't, which meant that they weren't the graves of people who had been enslaved. I found out later that the monks forbade visits and had performed exorcisms there, but they never said why. Also under the whole town was a series of caves, and when explored, there would be spray paint symbols for Satanism and other horrible racist monikers and marks for the KKK and neo-Nazis right down the road. There was a house where a little girl supposedly died in surgery, who was supposed to haunt the place. The library I worked at was supposed to be haunted. The gallery where I had my art shows was supposed to be haunted. And the curator said she saw a man from one of the old paintings wandering the halls and heard footsteps. The nature park was haunted, supposedly by the ghost of a woman who was escaping slavery and either hung herself to avoid capture or was murdered, depending on who told the story. The other dorm I stayed in was supposed to be haunted. And the students would claim to hear babies cry at night or feel someone crawl into the bed beside them. And there was a abandoned schoolhouse just down the road which was supposed to be haunted or demon-possessed. People took this seriously because they found a sacrificed cat at the schoolhouse and my friend found a bag of skinned puppies. I was more afraid of whoever did that than any ghosts and I never saw any ghosts the whole time I was there. However, I struggled with bad feelings and anxiety. I'm a very empathic person and often pick up on other people's emotions, but this was different and then started having these reoccurring nightmares. I've had two cases of distinct reoccurring nightmares, the first as a young child involving about 10 years of weekly dreams about a doll with a paper face that claimed to be a demon. Now in college, I started having reoccurring dreams about this horrible little figure dressed all in black with a pure white face. I could never quite tell if it was wearing a mask or not, but had a huge mouth. This big toothy smile, and the top part of its head was either a mask or it transformed into a paper-faced thing. Sometimes it wasn't a person, but a human-faced cat, and it touched anyone in my dream. That person would become violent or even cannibalistic. These were horrible dreams where I could even feel pain. What bothered me is that its face had uh, the paper quality, and so did that wretched doll I dreamed about for so long. Again, like ten years of doll dreams. I graduated in 2012 and only visited the town once, but I never had those dreams again ever since I left. Hope I didn't ramble too much. 
Just felt that I needed to set the stage for what happened and explain the kind of place that it was. I have a feeling the strange goings-ons there was just a tip of the iceberg. It was a rather violent town. There was a lot of strange crime that I would hear about in my job in the paper. The funny thing is, it really is a cute little town other than the big red gargoyle-covered house on the hill. Oddly enough, the only major place in town that's not supposed to be haunted. Anyway, I wonder what you guys would make of all this. Thanks for making such an awesome show. Love listening to it. Keep up the good work. You know, gargoyles aren't something we see a lot no. here. That's more of a European-influenced architecture. And aren't they supposed to be, like, warding off spirits? Yes, exactly. That's where I was going with this. Yeah. They're originally architecturally put onto buildings to help with the flow of water off of roofs so it didn't run down the masonry and rot, or not rot out, but erode away the, you know, the mortar between bricks and stones. Okay. So it essentially is a throat that the water would catch and, and shoot out and that okay. it comes from the Latin word for throat. Okay. Gargoyle does. But they found that they believe and I'm not sure who they are, but whoever, you know, started putting gargoyles everywhere, they found that they warded off spirits, or so people thought, to the point where they even put gargoyles on some uh churches and oh, yeah. Okay. So to me, I find it very interesting that the one really old building in that town that's definitely not haunted is the one covered in gargoyles. <laughs> the one that would be the spookiest looking. Yes. That just to the average person walking by would go, oh, that place is haunted. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, we did drive through there, right? This we is, did. This is a town where I we, we got messed up and then got stuck behind a train for like 20 minutes, right? Yes. Okay. I got a weird vibe out of that town. Yeah, I did too, um, but I didn't know if it was because we were, you know, on our way out of town for a funeral and we were obviously a little bit turned around and lost in this town or if it was just the weird old creepiness. Um, Parts of the town did not look like I expected. It looked kind of a little more run down. I was expecting, honestly, kind of just from all the stories that I had heard about it, Uh it was that it was going to be a little bit more... I don't know, ornate or picturesque. picturesque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it really, it, it it just kind of felt, and I'm sorry if you're from there, I'm not trying to insult your town, but I'm sure you're probably aware of this too. But it, it just, it did, it felt just kind of, yeah, I mean, run down. It, it, I guess I've lacked no other term for it. I just, I guess my expectations were different based on the stories I was hearing of, oh, it's this romantic community and Maybe yeah. there's parts that we just didn't see. And that could be. I mean, we saw some of the oldest parts yeah. right up by Benedictine College, which yeah. is where she was referencing with the history of the monks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I had pictured, because there was a lot of railroad barons that used to live there because it's Atchison, Topeka, Santa Fe. Sure. That's the Atchison we're talking about. You know, big, ornate old homes. They do trolley tours to mm-hmm. all these haunted old homes. Sure. You know, I just, in my mind, had, I think, something else envisioned, and yeah. it, it, it didn't match up. Sure. Haunted, sure. But I, 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 I kind of agree with what she was saying almost, too. It's like, I'd be a little more afraid of some of the people. Yeah. And she was mentioning the crime, too. I don't know what the crime rate is there. I mean, Kansas City has a pretty decently high crime rate as well. And it's just outside of the area, so I don't know how much of it is flowing into that town. But Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd be interested to go back and give it another chance. But I, yeah, I'd love to, like, 
because we really were just driving through going, oh, let's check it out. We've heard so much about it. Yeah. Um, but maybe more directive as mm-hmm. to where specifically to go check out. Maybe we're just so, we, we just happen to drive into the wrong part of town. It could be. I mean, that every town kind of has their spots, you know, where it's like, oh, it's really not the best representation of our city. Yeah. yeah it could be. I don't know. But uh, if, if anyone knows the town a little bit better, feel free to uh, enlighten us because uh, I, I, I'd like to make the best of it there. Well, and it's a short trip from Wichita. <coughs> we could easily go up there for a weekend or yeah. something. Be very interesting. Thank you for writing in that story. We really do appreciate that. You knocked your head into the microphone. I didn't knock my head. <laughs> I knocked my hand into it. Oh, okay. It. I just totally whacked my mic. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> All right. Amy writes in, hi, Tony and Jenny. I found your show a couple of months ago, and I'm so glad I did. Been listening uh, daily since then. Just became an EPP member. Thank you, Amy, for becoming one and helping keep our show going. I've been looking forward to more stories. The story I'm going to share with you happened in 1990 or 1991 at my then best friend's house in San Francisco. I was 15 or 16 at the time. DJ Tanner, she was about... I'm kidding. (laughs) By the way, that show's coming back. I'm very excited. It's called Fuller House. It'll be on Netflix next year. And he's not making that up. I'm not making that up. Uh, She's part of uh, the uh, Sioux, and her heritage was uh, proudly displayed all over her house. It's Lakota Sioux. Lakota Sioux? Okay. I I just said Sioux because I knew I was going to say, screw up the word Lakota. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Thank you for correcting me when I'm trying to to just slowly brush over my inability to read words. Sure, you're right. There is. Lakota Sioux. And her heritage is proudly displayed all over the house. I'm not sure when I first realized the house was haunted, but I remember times we'd be watching TV in the living room, and the channels would start changing with a remote sitting on the table in front of us. She'd say, oh, cut it out, and the TV would go back to whatever channel we were watching and stay there. The living room was next to the kitchen, and we would often hear dishes softly rattling in their cabinets. No buses went down her street, and the wind could rattle things inside the clo- couldn't rattle things inside, inside the closed cabinets. On one occasion, we could hear the toaster button being pushed down and popping back up. Well, that's a fire hazard. Yeah, a little bit. It's something I don't want ghosts doing. But it stopped as soon as we got into the kitchen, and we couldn't find a logical explanation for it. At some point, I'm no longer sure whose idea it was. We decided to start using a Ouija board to see if we could contact whoever was trying to get our attention. I wish I'd kept records of the responses, as I only remember a few. But I do remember at some point... We lost the store-bought board and started to use a homemade one with construction paper and a shot glass as the planchette. That one always seemed to get more of a response. I figure it's because we'd put the energy into making it. We used it in the kitchen sometimes, but mostly in her bedroom. Now, to get to her room, you'd go down a flight of stairs, come to a landing. To the left was the garage. There was a white wooden door with slats that led to the garage. And to the right was her room, which had no door on it. It would pretty much always receive responses from the same spirit, a young boy around the age of seven or eight named Wilfred. He was always very friendly, and we figured he was the one messing with the TV and dishes, although I don't remember if he ever copped to it or not. He did tell us, to, he did like to call us pretty girls, which we always found flattering. At one point, we asked him how he died, and all he would say was, dad and then stop responding until we started asking lighter-hearted questions. We were never scared of Wilfred and never got the sense that he was trying to trick or manipulate us in any way. One day we were the only ones home and were down in her room. I was sitting on her bed facing the landing and garage. She was sitting across from me on her sister's bed with her back up against the wall near the doorway. 
Something made me look up towards the doorway, and when I did, I saw a very large, very angry man filling the space almost completely. He was Native American, with a broad nose and very square jaw, deep lines at the sides of his mouth, and a dry, stringy gray hair that reached down to his shoulders. It was so wide it looked like he should have had football padding on. He had an old west style dark suit on with a white shirt and a string bow tie. His arms were hanging straight down at his sides and he had on a black wide brimmed hat. The brim was large enough that I couldn't see his eyes at all. They were completely in the shadow, but I could still tell that they were locked onto mine and he was most definitely scowling at me. I then realized I could see the wooden slats of the garage door through him. It was sort of opaque and almost a sepia. Is it sepia or sepia? I always called it sepia. I think it's sepia. Is it? Okay. And I've heard it both ways. Mm-hmm. I, okay. Uh, a tone like an old photo. When this registered in my brain, let out a scream. He was gone before my scream ended, but I didn't see him vanish. My friend screamed when I did, but only because I startled her. She said I was white as a sheet and she couldn't tell I'd seen, and she could, uh, could tell I had seen something, but she never saw him. The whole episode lasted only a few seconds. We wanted to leave the house, but had to cross the landing where he'd just been, and it took about half an hour for us to muster up the courage to cross that spot, but we did, and hung out on her front steps for a couple of hours until we calmed down enough to go back inside. Sometime later, we decided to ask Wilfred if he could tell us who that was or why he was so angry at me. All he would say was bad man, that he wasn't able or allowed perhaps to say more. I never did find anything else about him and never saw him again. That last time I was in that house, which was probably around 1996 or so, there was no activity. And my friend's mom told me there hadn't been any in a long time. I haven't seen my friend since her wedding over a dozen years ago. Funnily enough, the freeway exit I took to get to her wedding location was Wilfred Road. I no longer use Ouija boards or try to directly communicate with spirits, but to this day, I still wonder about both Wilfred and the bad man. Thanks so much for taking the time to read this, and I wish you both the best. Amy. I wonder if the bad man is one of those spirits that seems to be manipulative of lesser spirits and by lesser spirits I mean spirits of children spirits of maybe weaker characters okay you know because we've heard about that we've heard about the theory of like collectors sure okay. um, but also you know a spirit that tries to control other spirits and get them to do things and it's kind of like the one that rules the roost would it be one that was actually a human at one time or is it something that was not I think it could be either it was probably in this case, something that was human at one time. Mm-hmm. Do you think it could be his dad? It's interesting because it said, uh, when they asked how to die, it just said dad and then went away. I think if it were the dad, that he would have said dad instead of bad man. I see what you're saying because he already did define it once. Mm-hmm. And he would probably define it And through a Ouija terms. board, it's twice as much effort for bad man sure. than it is dad. Which I know is not a lot of effort, but still, when you're a ghost, it's that much more effort. That's true. So it makes me wonder if he's just one of those controlling entities. I, yeah. I I wonder if dad and bad man had a connection in in real life. 
Yeah. If if dad had had been influenced somehow by by bad man, or if uh, if there was a connection there, maybe bad man was another person too. It could be that had something to do with the the dad. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like though that this was truly a child that they were speaking to. Okay. Yeah. I, I do too. I don't, I don't feel like it was something manipulating or trying to pretend it was, pretend it was a child. Right. You know, like it was the bad man trying to be both characters to lure them in. Yeah, exactly. It seems like it was actually a real yeah. child. They got the Ouija jackpot. <laughs> they got the one that wasn't going to take over their lives, which yeah. is not what you usually get. So very interesting story. Thank you for calling in or writing in rather and uh, and sharing that with us. If you like the show, please press subscribe on whatever platform it is you listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, whatever it may be. Lots of platforms out there these days. Uh, press the subscribe button. Get every show sent directly to you. And it helps us uh, climb those charts and those rankings. So thank you so much uh, for uh, helping us do just that. Scott writes in, not exactly a ghost story, but I was listening to your podcast the other day. By the way, I love listening to it. Anyway, the theory of the mummy from the Titanic was brought up, so I don't know if you guys know about it. What I'm going to tell you, uh, in 1898, there was a guy called Morgan Robertson. He wrote a book about a ship called the Titan. It sank from a collision with an iceberg. Now, do you guys think it's a coincidence, or maybe he had seen it happen? I would love to hear your opinion on it. All right. Okay, before we get too far into that, let's just let our listeners know some of the similarities. Okay. For one, yes, this book was written, I believe, 1896. Okay. To 1898. It's a little fuzzy exactly which year, depending on where you find the results. But um, the main points was that the Titan was supposed to be the largest floating watercraft that was supposedly unsinkable Mm -hmm. shortage of lifeboats and it struck an iceberg and it struck an iceberg in April Mm -hmm. and it was going too fast and about 2,500 passengers drowned and the location that the Titan sank was about 400 nautical miles off of Newfoundland all of these are dead ringers for what actually happened with the Titanic that we know, which was, you know, 20 years later. Yeah, 1898 is when that book came out. 1912 is when Titanic sank. And this book, you can actually, I think, I don't know if it's still in print. You can, well, it looks like it is. You can yeah. get it through Amazon. Yeah, there's there's plenty of ways you could get the book. It, it, it's one of those that's probably so old it's out of copyright or something where... It's it's probably a free book somewhere if you wanted to to find a way to get it. It's probably available online, my guess, uh, at some location. Yeah. Uh, well, I you know Amazon has it. I mean, just it's it's unbelievable the similarities that this was written twenty years before the actual events happened. Mm-hmm. And I think to me that makes me wonder. If the author, in fact, had some abilities. I never thought of it that way. Because he, yeah. he just had too much right. I mean, for, for one, to write a, a story about a ship that, you know, was the biggest and sank. But to get the name, the month, the amount of people died, everything, mm-hmm. where, exactly where 
to get all that, I feel like maybe he had some abilities he didn't realize. I would say didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, I would think he would probably have tried to warn people, although, I mean, you publish a book that was actually fairly popular at the time. Um, and then you have an actual ship that comes out very similar in name, similar in lore. Mm-hmm. And and then the the reality of that happens. Um, I honestly, I, I, I've, I've, I've known this story my entire life. I've never thought of it from that perspective of did he have some sort of foretelling well, what I want to know, and of course we'll never know, Yeah. but I want to know how he came about this idea. If this was something that somebody said, here's an idea for a book, or if this was something that came to him in a dream, or if this was something that he just randomly had a vision someday when he was sitting at his desk, you know, because sure. all those could be factors into whether or not this was something that was truly a premonition or just, I mean, that's too much that's too much coincidence. What's interesting about it is is the fact of the the specifics. I mean, there was a lot of shipwrecks at that time. Sure. There was a lot of passenger boats that went down. Waves, icebergs. Torpedoes. Torpedoes. Uh, you know, you name it. I mean, there was a lot of reasons that passenger liners would go down. Um, so a lot of people died at sea. I mean, there's just a fact of life at the time. Um, but the fact, the name, the location, the amount of people, the description of the boat, the, the, the fictitious lure of this boat, the Titan, and then the real lure of the Titanic in real life, it was all so similar. Yeah. Very, very creepy. That'd be interesting to, uh, to do a little documentary on or something. And we, that could be one of our projects. Because we need more things to right. do. Right. Because we have time to just yeah. throw together a documentary about yeah. something that is so close to home that we could easily research. Yeah. Well, we could research it. It's a matter. I mean, but who would you even talk to from the time? I mean, historians would be about all you mm-hmm. get. It would be very difficult to really uncover anything that wasn't already out there. But it's an interesting subject. Yeah. Nonetheless. So, yeah. Thank you for um, for sharing that with us. We really do appreciate it. Were you aware of the mummy thing? No. With Titanic. Have you ever heard about that one? Yeah, I heard about it, but I didn't know if it was true or not. I think it's been debunked. Okay. I, I, I could be wrong, but I know that's like one of the many, many uh, stories surrounding Titanic of why it sunk. It was a mummy curse and this and that. And I, I believe it has been debunked. I don't know how or why. I'll look into that and we'll answer that in a future episode rather than searching Snopes at this exact second in time. But uh, I, I believe it has been. But speaking of mummies, don't you have some interesting information about mummy brown paint? I do have some interesting information about mummy brown paint. Okay. And we'll talk about that right after this story from Liz. Okay. All right. Uh, Liz writes in, I was just listening to your show that mentioned the Titanic and knew I had to share this story with you. I'm a huge Titanic geek too and know you'll enjoy this story. In 2009, I studied abroad in Belfast, Ireland. Belfast is, of course, where the Titanic was built, and the Irish people are very proud of this. A phrase I often heard was the Irish builder and the English sinker. Along the harbor where Titanic was built is Titanic Studios, the filming location of much of Game of Thrones, as well as the original pump house and dry dock where the ship herself sat before taking her doomed maiden voyage. I didn't know they had studios there now. That's interesting. Yeah. While studying there, and two, there's a, a huge warehouses around, so I guess it made sense. 
Sure. Uh, while studying there in 2009, they were actually doing some construction over the pump house and dry dock, and I was devastated that I wasn't able to visit it. They were building a massive museum called Titanic Belfast, and I swore I'd get back there someday to see it all. Thankfully, I got the opportunity to go back in 2013, and before I even left the USA, I planned a full-day trip to the museum, the dry dock, and pump house. The museum itself was nice. It talked about the history of the building and of uh, the building of the RMS Titanic and her sister ship, the RMS Olympic. They didn't have any actual artifacts from the sunken ship in the museum, but at the very end of the museum, the tour there is a room where they play the final distress calls from the sinking cruise liner. It's played at the original Morse code, and the words those dots and dashes form are shown on screen, along with the time and actual events occurring at the time of their sending. Come at once, we've struck a berg. Titanic position 41.44 north 50.24 west. Requires immediate assistance. Come at once, we struck My heart began to race as the words flashed across the screen. I felt like I could feel the panic in those dots and dashes, as if I could hear the heartbeat of the radio operator as he sat upon the sinking ship, frantically calling out across the Atlantic for someone, anyone, to help. I felt the heartbreak as the ship somewhere, uh, as a ship somewhere out there in the nearby ocean replied, You fool, leave us alone. The mystique and legend of the Titanic as an unsinkable ship had led other liners to assume the SOS calls were a joke. I felt the minor and likely short-lived relief as the Carpathia replied that they were on their way to help. Engine room nearly full, come quick. Losing power cannot last much longer. And the final transmission from the ship that night typed out by a man whose hands were shaking, whose eyes were blurred, who knew this would be his last communication with any other human sent SOS, SOS, CQD, CQD, Titanic, we are sinking fast. Passengers are being put into boats, Titanic, followed by never a tremor, then silence. I was shaking and started crying, standing in front of the screen. The words will never leave my head as long as I live. Gives me a sick feeling to my stomach, even writing about it now. Leaving the museum, I needed some air. I don't believe what I experienced inside the museum was paranormal, just my empathy consuming me. But what happened next was very strange. The museum is located about a mile from the pump house and dry dock, so we decided to walk down to them. I knew this would help me calm down following my episode inside the museum. It was a nice sunny day, which is rare in Ireland. We decided to do this self-guided tour of the dry dock and pump house so that we could take our time and truly take part in the history. Part of the pump house has been converted into an information station and gift shop, but other than that, it remains largely untouched. While exploring the area, I looked out a window in the pump house that overlooked the dry dock. I thought about the radio controller again. Sinking, sinking. It played over and over in my head. I felt a hand rest upon my shoulder and a soft male voice say, It's okay. I reached up to brush the hand off, thinking it was my friend mocking me, but there was no hand on my shoulder. In fact, there wasn't even anyone in the same room as me. My friends had moved on to the next set of rooms, and I was still standing there by the window alone. I felt a rush of warmth and peace wash over me. It's okay. Could it have been Jack Phillips, the radio operator, perhaps sensing my distress at the thought of his last actions and moments coming to comfort me? Whatever it was, it made me feel better, and the knots in my stomach went away. 
I told my friends about it and they exclaimed, how does that make you feel better? I couldn't quite explain it to them, but I wasn't frightened. I hope Mr. Phillips has found peace in knowing that he at least helped to save some of the lives of the Titanic that night. To the very end, he was doing his job. To the very end. Sinking, sinking, never a tremor. Sorry for the length of the length of this story, but I know that even if you don't read it on the show, you'll at least find some personal interest in it. Keep up the awesome work. What was the significance of never a tremor? Uh, I think it meant that he never had a tremor in uh, communicating the messages out that night, like a shake, because you know you're doing the telegraph, the beep, 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 beep with your finger, mm-hmm. and if you are going through such a stressful situation, it could be very easy to miscommunicate um so you state that you never had a tremor yeah that that the message is completely oh i see clear that there's no errors in the message okay just so everyone knows that here's my last message of the night you don't need to go back and question anything i just sent you um i see i was able to to hold it together essentially and deliver this message i see okay what do you think Well, I'm glad that something was able to comfort her. I'm sure that was very overwhelming because that's, you know, that's like watching something happen live. Sure. To see that, you know, those transmissions, the way they were able to get them across in real time Mm -hmm. for as live as you can watch the Titanic sink. I mean, that's about the closest thing you can get to. Sure. So I'm glad that something was able to comfort her, whether or not it was Mr. Phillips, who knows, um, may have been somebody that worked on the ship, being that they were there at the dry dock. Sure. You know, that it's just really hard to know. But one of the things, and this is not directly related to what she said in the story, but one of the things that I found very odd this week is that we got in at the same time a grouping of stories about the Titanic. Mm -hmm. And I'm not real sure if it was because of one of our episodes, you know, recently talked about it. But for some reason, we had a handful of listeners compelled to write in about the Titanic. And the day that we received all of these messages was April 15th, the day the Titanic sank. Mm -hmm. And I just found it very odd and kind of creepy that on the anniversary was the day that we got flooded with stories. It is. It's very, very odd. Well, I wonder how many of our listeners realized that that was the day that they wrote into us on, because I know you and I are both geeks. We every year kind of jokingly or snidely say, you know, happy Titanic day. Sure. But that's something you and I get. That's I'm sure not something that everybody else thinks of. I I don't know. I mean, I, I found it very, very bizarre that we got those messages on that day. We get Titanic stories throughout the year here and there. But that specific and to have that many come in on that same time was very... It's kind of one of those uh, things happen for a reason moments. They do. And that tells you how far behind we are on getting through our stories. So. Yeah. You know, we're to just today reading things that came in on the 15th. Yeah, but so. very... Uh, very interesting uh, uh, stories. I, I love them. Yeah. Okay. To the mummy story, which you very nicely teased earlier. I'm very proud of you. You're getting this radio thing down. Well, you couldn't just 
mention mummy and not say something. So. No, no. I mean, it was just, I, and I wasn't even thinking that. You, you really, you filled in the blank there. You, you're getting it. I'm getting it. Thank you're you. Getting it. Um. Anyway. Uh. So. Uh. Yeah. Mummy. Uh. Mummy Brown. Color of paint. Okay. One of our listeners sent me this link on Facebook. It was one of those, you know, graphics you see on Facebook where it's, you know, a, a jar of paint and it's like, did you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. And essentially what it said was that uh, up until about the 1960s, there was a shade of paint. Mummy brown is what it's called. It still exists. Uh, artists, I'm sure, are aware of this. Um, and it's uh, up until about the 60s was actually used uh by or made I should say by essentially grinding up mummies Egyptian mummies uh, along with a couple other uh, elements as well and it created this this shade of brown and uh, very commonly used apparently created a very uh, interesting shadow effect that uh, other uh, components of paint just could not quite make at the time um, and I thought it was kind of I thought it was BS. I thought so that's one of these, you know, rumors that, you know, go around online. No, it's real. Very real. Uh, they were using mummy remains, human mummy remains, and animal mummy remains uh, out of Egypt until they finally ran out in the 60s uh, for things like this. So, confirming it in, does in fact exist. It did in fact exist. The color still is out there, but it's no longer made with mummies, thank God. Uh, it made me wonder how many pieces of art and such that used that, uh, that actually, uh, w- would they possibly hold a haunting? Well, that paint was originally made in the 16th and 17th centuries. So that sure. was a very, very important time in the history of art. Yeah, there was a lot of art. <laughs> yes. So there are countless numbers of you know, countless amount of works out there that yeah. are going to contain at least some of this. You know, most of yeah. them, you know, look like, I don't know, kind of your your post-Renaissance yeah. looking, sure. very ornate oil paintings. And mm-hmm. it's an oil paint, which yeah. would hold a higher shelf life. Um, Pre-Raphaelites for those art buffs. Mm-hmm. That's what... It was a favorite color of those artists. I was just shocked to hear that it was produced using those manners up until the 60s. Yeah, he he's not <laughs> full of it this time. I really, I called bullshit on him earlier, but I mm-hmm. take it back. I was even, I was even thinking of waiting to tell you this till we were on the air. So I would call bullshit on the air? Well, yeah, but then I knew you'd have to like really look it up and everything. So I thought I'd give you a little bit of time to actually, you know. Just confirm that I'm not, not bullshitting you. He's not. Anyway, it's up on our website. Uh, you can read more about it at realghoststoriesonline.com. That's just gross. It is. It's it's disturbing as hell. I don't ever want a piece of art from that era now. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> out. Damn it. Second time you've hit the microphone. Today. <laughs> All right. I will sit still. I promise. <laughs> Let's go to a caller. Hi, you're on the air. How you guys doing this morning? Um, my name is Glenn. I'm calling from Florence, Kentucky. Excuse my voice. We just had a crap ton of rain coming yesterday with the cold front. So we went from like 80-some degrees to 60 today. My sinuses are all jacked up. <clears throat> but I called in today um, to 
to tell you about the story of my great-grandfather coming in contact with the Grim Reaper. Um, it happened back in the 40s. Newport, Kentucky was used to be a train hub back in the 40s. Even some today, you can get on there and still you're driving on a main road and up out of nowhere, there'd be uh, railroad tracks and they would leave to nowhere or they would go right underneath blacktop. But um, it was back in the 40s. Um, my grandfather was a train engineer. Um, when he didn't have work, he would work the yard at night. So pretty much would be slash, would be a night watchman slash train engineer. Well, uh, one day or one night, my apologies, he was there uh, and he got alarmed for a fire. Um, he went to the main building and seen that it was on fire. Um, he walked in and, and uh, there was a guy coming down from the steps and said that uh, that he, he, he knew there was more people up top, but he couldn't go back up because he was really, really badly burned. So he, my grandfather ran upstairs, the first floor, um, and didn't find anybody. Went to the second floor, again, he didn't really see anybody. If anybody was there, they already probably got out. But on the third floor, he ran up, and there was a guy screaming for help. Uh, my grandfather went over and helped him real quick. He was trapped underneath the, an old, old beam. Uh, my, uh, with my grandfather being as big as he was and the guy, uh, they both managed to slide the beam somewhat off of him and, you know, get him out. Uh, he said that on the fourth floor that they knew there was somebody up there because he heard him up there running around when the fire broke out. Uh, at this point, the building was really badly on fire. Um, so uh, he ran upstairs along with the others. He was helping this other guy up. Uh, they got upstairs and checked out. And they, they on the way up, they could hear screams. And by the time he got up to the fourth floor, he, they didn't really hear anything anymore. So you figure either they were dead or um, they were close to dying. So they tried to hurry, you know, hurry up to get up to the fourth floor. So by right when they got to the fourth floor, it was pitch black. There was smoke. You really couldn't see. Um, they really had, they had trouble breathing. Uh, they start to, you know, look around because they really didn't want to leave nobody in the building if, you know, they're still up there. So <clears throat> my grandfather started to look around and all of a sudden, like, some, some of the smoke started to lift up. And my grandfather, you know, didn't know what the hell to do. He was trying his best because my grandfather back in the day apparently had a big heart. He'd hate to see anything like that happen to anybody. And if it was him, he would want somebody to drag him out of the building, even if he was dead or alive. So he noticed that the smoke started to rise up, and he started to look, and he thought, well, maybe, you know, the firemen, fire people, or fire department's here, and, you know, they're trying to clear, clear the building out for, for the fire. Well, then he noticed there wasn't, it wasn't smoke. It was a being of some sort. He didn't know what the hell it was. He, all he knew was it was somebody dark, and it came right past him. Didn't even, it didn't even, bug my grandfather none it went right to a part in the, the building my grandfather ran over thinking that maybe it was you know somebody ran past him and just couldn't see because of smoke but he got to there and there was a there was a couple people laying on the ground they already passed away and this he would he was standing right behind this thing and it and he, and the smoke started to clear a little more, and he noticed that this wasn't a person, that it would had to be something else because 
on the left side or on the right side of his body had a, a scythe. And on the floor, he would stand by the he would stand by the bodies by the bodies for a little bit, and then he would see something white come out of him and then go right into this person. And then he would go to the next one, do the same thing, go to the next one, do the same thing. And it scared the shit out of my grandfather because my grandfather grabbed the other dude and fucking booked it out of there. Um, he didn't really tell my, my grandmother this story until she was much older. I say in her at least 20s. Um, and my grandmother told me that when he told her, he was still scared because he didn't know what the hell he'd seen. But uh, it, it really did terrify him. He, he said it gave him nightmares and stuff like that. But what he believes he's seen was the Grim Reaper, because he said when he did, when he stood by the bodies, a white like like a white mist or a white ball would come out of, would come out of him real quick, and it would go right into him, and then he would go to the next one, and it scared the shit out of him. He had nightmares until his death about it. But I I, I heard you guys talk about on the podcast today about the Grim Reaper, and I was like, ooh, I, I should call and tell him about this. But I have other stories I'd like to call and talk to you guys about them. But I uh, hope you guys have a good day. Uh, bye. That's another good story from Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. If he was in a burning building, there's a chance that it could be something that, you know, wasn't paranormal. Like maybe the environment or the you know what what was going on started getting to him but the fact sure. that if that was the case that this is what was his hallucination if it was a hallucination mm-hmm. i don't know i kind of think maybe it was something paranormal it's interesting seeing it going out of each and every body and it's you know yeah and i don't know if it would so much always have to be the grim reaper i mean that's you would think that but i mean what if it was just you know the entity that was helping them cross over i guess that that could be the i mean the grim reaper and there's what but grim reaper just has such a negative connotation to it you know well this this being had one of those like sickles oh okay i missed that part yeah okay then it's a grim reaper (laughs) but you know i'm just throwing out there the fact that you know we have to consider the fact that he was in a burning building while this was going on Sure. You know, and a lot of things can happen, but you know, even so, if if that's what he's seeing, I still think it's paranormal. I think there was certainly something odd going on there, uh, and and very likely in the paranormal realm from from the way that the story was described and the fact that it you know it troubled him that much for so many years. Yeah. You know that he never wrote it off. As, no. As, no. You know, this was this or this is no. Yeah. I very interesting story. Thank you for. Uh, for sharing that uh, with us here on the show. Let's do one more caller before we wrap up for tonight. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Jill from Indiana. I was calling with a story actually for Jenny, since I know she's studying psychology and I'd be interested in her opinion. So, uh, as you know, I'm an investigator. I've been doing this for eight years. And uh, on one occasion, we were teaching a class. I believe it was at a convention of some sort. And after the class, people could come up and ask us questions or tell us their stories or whatever. Um, And a woman approached me, and she had a printed photo in her hand. And I hate analyzing photos like that. You just can't tell, really. 
But she handed me the photo and asked me what I thought of the photo, not giving me any information. It's a picture of a little girl sitting on a couch, and to the right side of the photo, uh, what could be interpreted as next to the little girl is a blurry image. I knew right away, looking at the photo, that this is the hair of the person taking the photo. It was very obvious. Um, whoever was taking the photo, their hair fell in front of the lens, but the camera was focused on the little girl, so the hair is blurry. It makes it look like a smoky, out-of-focus object when the rest of the photo is sharp. So I told her, oh, I think that's a piece of hair that's fallen in front of the lens. She immediately became angry and defensive and said, no, no, I mean this right here. And she's pointing at the obvious hair. And she said, um, look again. And I said, what do you think this is? And she said, well, this is my granddaughter. And my daughter had recently been killed in a car crash. And this is her daughter. And I think this is my daughter uh, standing next to her daughter in the photo, you know, guarding over her. So I immediately said, you know what, can, can I get my glasses and look at it better? Because honestly, I don't have my glasses on and it would be easier to see. She said, of course. I got my glasses. And I laid the picture on the desk and uh, I, need, I wear contacts. So putting my glasses on actually made it so I couldn't see a dang thing. <laughs> but I pretended to inspect it very thoroughly and said, you know, I see the edges now and you can see if you, if you really magnify this, uh, these might be feathers. I don't know. I said, photos are hard to tell, but I think you're right. I think this is a, like a feathery something. And she said, Oh, that's what I think. I think it, it's an angel wing. I said, I, I can't tell from this photo, but honestly, now that I have my glasses, you might be right. Well, after she was very happy with it, that she left. And some of the other investigators who were teaching the class with me uh, were very upset. They heard me telling her this. And they were upset that I was compromising our integrity as a group by telling this woman that that was obviously an angel <laughs> when everybody with any experience would know it's a piece of hair. And my answer to that was, this woman has experienced a horrible tragedy. She is using this photo as her confirmation that her daughter is still around looking over her granddaughter. Who's to say she's not? We don't know she's not. And sure, I don't think that photo was proof of that, but it doesn't disprove it either. I also said, you know, this woman is not going to publish a book based on this photo. She's not going to quit her job and change her life based on what I just told her. So what difference does it matter, really, if I agree with her? Now, I, I, I could see if she's going to change her life, I would have to change my answer. But I think no harm, no foul. And I, I stand by it. I said, you know what, if letting her believe that and 
helps her, helps her deal with her loss, then let her have her angel. So I just thought I'd put that out there and see what Jenny thinks. Integrity and uh, absolute honesty no matter what, or no harm, no foul. I'll call back in more. Uh, I have some more that I'd like to throw uh, your way. And uh, I love your show. I love the stories. And I'll talk to you both. Or <laughs> I'll listen to you both later. Thank you for everything you do. Okay. I can see both sides here. I can see mm-hmm. the other investigators being miffed by the the fact that some inaccurate information was being shared to this person. Sure. But I honestly do feel that Jill did the right thing simply because if this woman who's just lost her daughter has any doubt in what's in that picture, she's not going to ask for other people's opinion. It would be more of a, you know, I don't need other people to tell me what's in this picture. It's very clear what's in this picture. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I think this woman knows in her heart of hearts that that's not actually anything other than probably hair or something that got in the way. But she's looking for whatever she can find to help cope with these emotions that she's dealing with. Sure. So... I don't think you did anything wrong in letting her believe what she was believing to help her through this tragedy. No, I think she did the the exact correct thing. It's one thing. I mean, they, they, the investigators can mark down whatever they want into their research. They don't have to necessarily mark down what was told to to the woman. Sure. I mean, they, they can go, okay, well, we're going to go talk to her and tell her this. But for our own studies... Here's what we're going to write down in our book. It doesn't make a difference. Right. There's no reason why those two things couldn't happen. And from a psychological standpoint, it's not going to do the woman any good. She's not there to be a paranormal investigator. She's there to get some sort of closure to what happened and some comfort. So if, if she wants to believe that that is a helpful thing, even if the experts on it can say, it's a piece of hair, um, I, I see nothing wrong. Well, what the woman's looking for is so much more than just confirmation that that picture is her daughter. She's looking for some kind of hope that her daughter's not truly gone, that she's still there in some form. Sure. And I think in this case, the other investigators couldn't see the trees for the forest. And I know that's backwards, but they're so much looking at the big picture. Yeah. They forget the human the human level of the person that's that's still living yeah. not just the dead so i think that you know i probably would have done the exact same thing if i'd been in your shoes and if she did decide to take that and be like oh my god i've got a picture of an angel and try to you know do something with it like a book or whatever there's so many more people that are going to have to see that and are going to have to buy into that as well that mm-hmm. it's never going to actually happen yeah i think the the right thing was done from the psychological standpoint there. 
Yeah. So yeah, you, you were completely right in what you in what you did there. So thank you for sharing that story. We always do appreciate your calls. Our phone number is 855-853-4802. If you have a real ghost story you'd like to share with us, please give us a buzz or write into the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. And if you like the show, consider supporting it, becoming an EPP. That's an extra podcast person. You get a bonus episode of the show sent to you every single week and access to our archive of more than 35 episodes right there waiting for you to enjoy away. Check it out at realghoststoriesonline.com. And thank you for the support in advance. That's what keeps our show on the air. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online.